Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with John O'Keefe, author of Stranger Citizens, Migrant Influence and National Power in the Early American Republic. John is Associate Professor of History at Ohio University, Chillicothe. We spoke to John about his interest in the history of what is still an ongoing modern debate, who can be a citizen and who decides, how migrants responded to attempts to limit their rights in the early formative years of our republic, and what were some of John's favorite historical stories that he uncovered in his research. Hello, John. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Glad to be here. (laughs) Thanks. Yes, well, congratulations on your new book, Stranger Citizens, Migrant Influence and National Power in the Early American Republic. It's out now. Uh, listeners can get a free book. It's, it's available open access. You can go to our website. You can go to Amazon. You can go to JSTOR, Project News, as many places you can go. But yeah, come to our website. It's available as an open access book, available for download. This is thanks to generous funding from the Sustainable History Monograph Pilot and the Mellon Foundation. So thank you. Uh, but it's also available as a paperback. So we encourage you to get both. It's nice to have the digital copy. It's also nice to have a paperback, a physical copy. Um, so both of those are available. And so, yes, tell us how this book came about. So this this came about in, in you know, started thinking about it in the mid 2000s. And so there were a lot of public debates about immigration at that time and a lot of immigrant activism. At the same time, there are also debates about same-sex marriage. And right, there's kind of a tie-in between both of those. I was really interested in how households became defined in law and what was the relationship to the development of immigration law in this early period when uh, a lot of the foundations of immigration policy and you know the federal government got laid down and what role did immigrants play in that? So that's really what got me ex- started exploring this project and thinking about the issues that, that drove the project. Okay. And for the listeners, could you uh, explain the difference between immigrants and migrants? Yes. So, right, the the book uses the title Migrants instead of Immigrants. And so uh, one thing I wanted to emphasize is uh, in the popular imagination, the story of immigration is people coming with the the deliberate intention to permanently come and settle in the United States. But uh, historically, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, And a lot of people came for other reasons. Uh, They wanted to work a few years and then go back home uh, with some extra money in their pocket. Uh, and do well back in in their place of origin. Or other people came as exiles. So yes, they're here and they're residing in the United States, but they're they're waiting for political conditions to change uh, in the place that they came from and hope to one day return uh, once things got better back there. So uh, these kinds of issues were also the case in in the decades after U.S. independence. Uh, So that's why the book says migrant instead of immigrant. So not everyone who's who's participating in this political process necessarily has an intention to permanently stay. But nonetheless, right, the, the issues matter to them and, and they're attempting to influence them. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that you're, you're focusing on the decades after uh, American independence, so late 1700s, mm-hmm. early 1800s. Tell us how foreign migrants who resided in the United States gave shape to citizenship. Yeah, so they gave shape to it in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and so uh, I emphasize, right, there's the formal organizing 
uh, you know, formal, you know, formal groups uh, forming to, to pressure or people working with, with political party structures uh, to influence policy and law. But there's also a lot of informal organizing and a lot of informal everyday engagement. So the, the book really emphasizes the, the informal side of this. There's pushes to change the way policies are enforced. So the federal government uh, requires people in 1798 to, to uh, so all, all white aliens, right? And also emphasize like this, this term alien, right? Has a history that I'm, I'm talking about as well. Uh, and it's, you know, becomes increasingly pejorative over time. They are, they are, they're required to register with the federal government according to the Naturalization Act of 1798. And we see uh, some resistance by refusing to register. In other cases where people do register, they, uh, they make clear to the officials their views on immigration uh, and their views about belonging and their views about the nation and their views about the legal process. We also see uh, a similar thing happen in the War of 1812 when British subjects are once again required to, to register with the federal government or you know, a group of people is required to register with the federal government. Uh, they start to say things like, well, I was, you know, I was an indentured servant. I came as an indentured servant. And my understanding was once I finished my indenture and I grew up in an American household, I was an American. Or other people say, well, yeah, I'm British, but I have an American wife. So I feel this law shouldn't apply to me in this way, or it shouldn't, you know, this policy shouldn't affect me in the way that it's affecting other people. Uh, so we see this kind of pushback happening uh, with, with a huge variety of groups. So the two groups that I, I talked about, right, those are mostly white migrants, but for people of color coming from the Haitian Revolution, uh, one thing that they really emphasize is that they are citizens of the French Republic. Uh, and in this, this phase of the Haitian Revolution, uh, right, Haiti has yet to declare independence. So they are saying, I have citizenship status at a time when many white Americans refuse to, to view people of color as citizens. And so this assertion of citizen status is another way that we see them affecting and influencing policy as well. Interesting. So the, 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 the basis of your research, uh, is it, uh, are you going to an archive or are, are you finding letters and uh, how, are you, how are you finding out? The so yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a variety of sources, but um, I, I rely on two really important sources of archival data and records. And so this is the registrations that, that were required in 1798. We have, uh, we have a body of registrations from the federal courts uh, uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, and then we have the registrations of British subjects from the War of 1812. Uh, and so uh, both of these, right, there's a significant body, right? Uh, and uh, you can see what individuals did, but you can also see some broader patterns in the actions of the group as a whole. So those are the major archival sources. Uh, I also talk about uh, radical journalists, uh, and these are these are Irish revolutionaries and other radicals from the British Isles who end up fleeing from uh, crackdown in Britain and coming to the United States. And so their newspaper activities are also you know you know very much a part of this, as well as anti-immigrant uh, articles and the anti-immigrant press that's that's emerging. Uh, and so their views of immigrants, right? I also emphasize what are they countering? Um, and obviously I rely on legislation, right? Uh, and legislative documents. Uh, I do rely on missionary accounts, uh, which are particularly important for uh, people coming from outside of Europe. So the whaling industry you know, starts to sail over the Pacific. 
the, the, the ships are often short on crews. And so, so people from uh, Pacific Islands, uh, as well as Asia, end up coming in small numbers to the United States. And so we know a lot about them because uh, missionaries, American, white American missionaries were very interested in them and their stories and uh, you know, hope to convert them to Christianity. So I, I rely on those, though obviously, right, there's, those really have to be read against the grain, right? Because the, the main emphasis is uh, their religious views and their religious understanding. So, uh, but in the process, there's kind of, you know, a biography that you learn, where did they work? Where did they travel to? Did they leave? Did they come back? What was the reception in the community? So um, those, those I also rely on, as well as some personal correspondence and diary entries, you know, here and there, uh, ma- many different sources. Interesting. Within all these uh, sources and materials, are there any stories that, that come to mind or that are most memorable when you're doing your research? Like, wow, this oh, is yes. an amazing story. One, uh, so one particular story uh, that, that I'll, I'll, I'll talk about is, uh, so there's David Levy Yuli um, and his father, Moses Levy, was born in Morocco and then moved to the Virgin Islands. The father wanted to establish a Jewish colony in Florida in what is um, uh, Alachua in, in North Florida. Um, and then the son became active in Florida politics uh, and became elected as a territorial delegate. And he converted to Christianity, but right, he faced significant anti-Semitism. When he tar- tr- tried to register his credentials, he was challenged. Uh, right? His political opponents said that he was an alien and he didn't, you know, he should not be uh, a member of Congress. But ultimately, right, he seated. Uh, and in fact, uh, the, the source that, that, that I use for this is John Quincy Adams's diary, who, who recounts this, the, this account and also uh, right, gets really gossipy uh, in, in a racist way, right? And says uh, he has African ancestry, not meaning in fact, the Moroccan ancestry, but because the family had spent time in the Caribbean, uh, right? Saying that he has, you know, that, that he has enslaved ancestry. Uh, so this is part of this challenge, right? And, and we see this, you know, recorded not in, in Levi Yuli's own voice, right? But in someone else's voice. Another example of this is John Daly Burke, uh, who explains his own views of citizenship uh, and uh, has a very varied career in, in the United States. He's actually a successful playwright. And uh, he puts on the, the play, or he, he writes the play, The Battle of Bunker Hill. It's performed in Boston. And the other theater owner is angry about the quality of the play, but that it's very successful. Uh, he says this is you know, the utter disgrace of Boston theatricals that you know, people flock to see this you know, low quality play. Um, but audiences loved it. It was performed in New York. John Daly Burke met John Adams. Uh, and then his second play about Joan of Arc was a disaster when it was put on in New York. The audiences hissed during the, the, during the play. They laughed at dramatic scenes, right? He had this huge flop. Um, he ends up founding this paper and gets in a, in a fight with the founder and they, they start grabbing the lead type and throwing it at each other. So uh, yeah, some really amazing stories about, about these people uh, appear in the book. Those are great stories. Thanks for sharing. So, so I, I, what I think is fascinating about your book is that you're, you're not looking at you know, immigration and, and um, migrant law. Mm-hmm. The, the law itself is murky even today, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But you're looking at more of the informal things and, and uh, mm-hmm. really act, basically activism during that time. Yes, um, yes. There was one that, that, that was eye-opening that you said that there was a, a ban on all French citizens from entering the US in 1798. 
um, that's just one of the many things that you mentioned. Yes, but, an attempted ban. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, so what, yes. were, what were things that people did to overcome that informally? Yeah, rather than on so a legal um, this, is, this is really interesting. Um, so the, the Federalist Party attempts to do this, um, and there's a, a, once again, it's, it's a racialized fear. So there's a, a, a panic that white French leaders are leading an invasion force that's landed in New Jersey and is going to march, you know, on Philadelphia. And so there's, there's this huge panic. Uh, it's all started because a ship of refugees, once again, from the Haitian Revolution has, has, has arrived in, in Philadelphia. And so the, um, the white passengers on the ship uh, very actively work with uh, Franco-American merchants, shipping merchants, uh, and very swiftly lobby Congress. So you can see this really dramatic change, you know, just over the course of 24 hours, you know, there's this panicky, you know, response. And then the next day, uh, the senators really kind of change their tune. And it's clear that they're getting this different, different information through, through more direct lobbying. Uh, so that's, that's one example of, uh, of, of that push by, uh, by these migrant groups. Interesting, interesting. Um, what were some other uh, events where uh, migrants' rights were, were attempted to be removed and what type of activism prevented that? Going back to the radical printers, so the package of legislation that, that we call the Alien Sedition Acts, um, that, right, so there are laws regarding naturalization and then there's the Sedition Act, which says that defamatory and false uh, statements about leaders of the federal government uh, can't be printed or, you know, uh, and this, this gets into the issues of free speech. Uh, and so many of these radical printers are very organized against this. And part of this is there's, there's this question of what rights are going to adhere to citizens and what rights are going to be the rights of all legal persons, including immigrants. And so they really push back against this. So they're able to secure greater free speech rights for themselves. And in particular, the Secretary of State, Timothy Pickering, uh, if, if someone naturalized and became a citizen, he would prosecute them under the Sedition Act. Uh, and right, so there's sort of a fuller right to trial with this, right? Um, uh, and right to legal counsel. But if they were not citizens, immigrants were not citizens, he would yeah. try to deport them. So that that push against that was successful in securing greater free speech rights for, for immigrants. Uh, and the, their campaigns were, you know, and, the, and their resistance to this were, were part of this process is, is what that chapter argues. Okay, so this is a really interesting story of Joseph Prissy, right? So he's the discoverer of oxygen, uh, right? He calls it phlogiston, right? There's, you know, some, some controversy about this. Um, he is involved in revolutionary politics in Britain and France. Uh, and a mob is stirred up and they destroy his chemistry lab in, in England. Uh, and so he decides, right, it's time to, to find a place where he feels safer. Uh, he comes to the United States. He's still very involved in radical politics in the United States. Um, and so uh, Secretary of State Timothy Pickering comes to John Adams and says, I want to deport Joseph Priestley. And John Adams is pretty lenient about, uh, you know, he's pretty like, you want to deport somebody, go for it, right? Um, but he draws a line at Joseph Priestley. He really admires Joseph Priestley's thought, right? Uh, and he's also right, a religious thinker as well. And Adams really is impressed by, by Priestley's religious thought. 
and he refuses to to have Priestley deported. Um, and so Pickering really angers Adams later when he comes with several blank warrants. He just says, sign it with your name and I'll fill in the names later. And that really doesn't go over well. So this is sort of the, uh, eventually Adams will, will fire Pickering uh, as you know, intra-party politics heats up in the uh, election of 1800. And so this is sort of the, the start of tension between Pickering and Adams. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, so, it's so fascinating to hear that <laughs> these, they're so personal, you know? Yes. You, you think of immigrant influence yeah. and you think of like this large groups of people, but now this is like very particular, this particular person. Yeah, and politics is very personal at this time. And this is part of the, the concern, right? Um, that people not from this country shouldn't come in, right? This is the xenophobic view that they shouldn't come in and mess with our politics uh, and damage the reputations of our leaders by saying defamatory things about them. You know, the bar is set pretty low for what qualifies as, as defamatory. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see the tight personal bonds that really are part of this interaction, right? Uh, and, and right, that's more of like an elite interaction, but even kind of, uh, you know, for, for more laboring people, their interactions and their, their personal choices also matter as well. Interesting, wow. Wow, there's, there's, these are fantastic stories and, and we've just scratched the surface. There's plenty more uh, in your new book, Stranger Citizens. It's available for free. Anyone listening to this can get, dive right in, download the book. Um, it's also available as a very affordable paperback. Uh, thank you so much, John, for, for joining us and, and telling us about the, the many uh, different stories within this book. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. That was John O'Keefe author of Stranger Citizens, Migrant Influence and National Power in the Early American Republic. If you'd like to read his new book, you can download the free open access ebook on our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu. You can also use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on the paperback. If you live in the UK and would like the paperback, please use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.